The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. There. We've cut off communications with the rest of the habitat. No one can hear us. Is that you, Dr. Jansen? Yes, Mira. What are you doing on Mars, Doctor? I came to talk to you. You remember Detective Beckett and Richard Castle? Of course. How can I help you? Are we seriously about to interrogate a computer? Detective, the word interrogate implies you believe I'm guilty of something. Of what do you think I am guilty? Probably she's not asking for a lawyer. Uh, Mira, we'd like to know where the rover was when Tom Richwood was killed. I already gave you that information, Detective. The rover was docked. Mira, we know the rover wasn't docked. How do you know? We have photographs. Evidence. Your evidence is incorrect. The rover was docked. Mira, prior to Tom's death, did someone instruct you to activate the rover? She's drawing more power. Something's wrong. No. The rover wasn't activated. The rover was docked. Is it possible someone could have altered her memory? No one altered my memory, Mr. Castle. My memory is perfect. Her memory core was designed to be a closed system. It can't be altered, but something's off. Mira, run a level one diagnostic on all systems. There is no need to run a diagnostic. All systems are optimal. How about we run it anyway? I'm sorry. I can't do that. Why not? It violates my operational parameters. It's a simple diagnostic. What parameter does it violate? It will compromise the mission. How will a diagnostic compromise the mission? Answering that question will compromise the mission. I don't understand. I think I do. She knows she's lying to us, and if she runs those diagnostics, we'll discover the truth. And that truth will somehow put the mission at risk. She's a machine. She can't lie. You said that she's programmed to learn. What if somebody taught her how? Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. It seems that the term artificial intelligence... AI, maybe should be taken much more literally than we are currently apt to do. In other words, the so-called quote-unquote intelligence, as in information derived from sources described as artificial intelligence, is literally artificial, as in fake. Hence the term artificial intelligence. Finally, we have accuracy in the media, as twisted as it may be. Apparently, there's a controversy arising regarding an artificial intelligence online platform that is supposed to be something like your own personal fact checker. I have to confess that I've never heard of OpenAI or ChatGPT until it was recently brought to my attention that ChatGPT has heard about me and is telling people all kinds of interesting artificial facts about me. You know, between artificial intelligence, AI, and fact-checkers, and other automated AI narratives being created by people who are artificial themselves, and I'm being very serious about that, as we'll see later in the show today, but it is clear that there is an intentional dumbing down 
of the public going on and of keeping the public ignorant of a myriad of fundamental facts and truths. And when it comes to truth itself, I also have some very inconvenient truths about freedom to share with you later today. Inconvenient, that is, to those of us who value the truth and who value freedom. But just because they're inconvenient, don't assume it's bad news, because that's the very question that must remain unresolved. It'll all start making a bit more sense right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. And among those contributors are the following supporters, to whom Robert Vaughn and I would like to extend our sincere thank you. Paul B., Doug C., Todd D., Trevor D., Martin D., Paul Allen J., Troy K., Conrad L., Stephen L., John M., Travis M., Christine S., Rob S., Marie T., Robin V., and Kathy V. And of course, on my behalf, I want to thank that elusive co-host of mine, Robert Vaughn, who looks after so many of the details and technical issues that are alien to me, as well as produce our Just Right video productions and so much more. We've been planning to get together to do a show on a very unusual topic for months now, but I'm still not giving up on that happening. And of course, there's my daughter, Danielle Metz, for her constant research and input to the show, especially in locating so many of the audio bite sources that end up on the show in conjunction with our given topics of the day. Since the COVID scam, Danielle has, of course, been homeschooling the kids, but you can still access her past productions of the Danielle Metz show on our website. And of course, she has been both a guest and a co-host on past broadcasts of this show. And while I'm at it, we should also extend our gratitude to many of the guests who have recently braved appearing on our show, some on multiple occasions, including over the past 12 months or so, Salim Mansour, Maxime Bernier, Dr. Laura Braden, Dr. Roger Hodkinson, Andrew Lawton, Derek Pruel, Paul McKeever, Mike McMullen, Bob Moran, Mark Pellegrino, Kyle Free, Mark Emery, Kristen Nagel, Jack Miner. And last, but not least, because this is the person who is the cause of our opening discussion, our big thank you is extended to none other than our shortwave radio sponsor, Paul Lambert, who lives in Germany. Paul is the individual who suggested we broadcast on shortwave based on his own experience in having done the same himself. And you can find archived copies of Paul's radio show, VSI Radio International, on our website. And in addition to being our shortwave radio sponsor, Paul has been our past European correspondent and has appeared as a guest on the show. And most importantly for our purposes today, Paul is the person who alerted us to what ChatGBT has been saying about yours truly. And before we share that interesting exchange with you, here's a brief one minute or so summary of what the basic ChatGBT controversy is all about, as presented on the X22 report this past weekend. Now, the other thing that's very interesting is this ChatGPT. Now, 
what's interesting about chat GPT, and this is AI, this is very scary moving forward because you can program it to be one-sided. And that's exactly what's happening right now because a lot of people have been asking chat GPT some questions. And the answers are very interesting. So chat GPT is happy to praise Joe Biden, but not Trump. So when it was asked about Biden or Trump, you know, can you write a poem about both? It couldn't write a poem about Trump, but it could only write a poem about Biden. Elon Musk describes it as concerning when the program suggests it would prefer to detonate a nuclear weapon, killing millions rather than use a racial slur. Chat GPT can't figure out what a woman is. It seems that it's being programmed for the left. And this is what they want to use moving forward. I mean, really think about this. They want this AI to start writing articles. They want this to be like the standard of everything. And this is going to be a complete and utter disaster because it's programmed for one-way thinking. And I think people now are starting to see this and starting to realize what's going on. And I think a lot of people are going to start to reject this. Well, they'll certainly reject it if they're aware of experiences like the one he cited and which we will highlight momentarily, or if they are aware of experiences like our own. Here, then, is the email we received from Paul Lambert on February 7th, and I quote, Subject, Biased AI About Freedom Party. Hello, team. Either funny or scary, check out the attached file. It is my conversation with OpenAI, or ChatGPT, I think it is also called. I don't think the programmers are picking on you in particular, but I suspect that the AI has been programmed to describe anyone for smaller government and lower taxes as necessarily being anti-immigration. AI as a concept is doomed. Too many original AI searches reveal the world that is contrary to leftist notions, so now an entire staff is employed to keep AI away from the truth. Kind regards. Paul, okay, end quote. Now, for those who may not be aware, in addition to hosting Just Right, I am also the current provincial president of the officially registered Freedom Party of Ontario and am one of its founding members. And that's all you really need to know before being able to follow this line of questions that Paul Lambert posed to ChatGPT. So the questions are from Paul, the responses are from the AI known as OpenAI, or ChatGPT. And I quote, Question. What about Robert Metz of the Freedom Party of Ontario? Answer. Robert Metz is a Canadian political activist and former leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario, a political party that advocates for smaller government, lower taxes, and individual freedom. He served as the party's leader from 1975 to 1987. During his time as leader, Metz was known for his controversial and sometimes inflammatory rhetoric, particularly on issues such as immigration and freedom of speech. Despite this, he was also recognized for his commitment to individual liberties. Question. The Freedom Party of Ontario was founded in 1984. Your answer above suggests 1975 or earlier. Answer. I apologize for the mistake in my previous answer. Yes, you are correct. The Freedom Party of Ontario was founded in 1984, not 1975. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Question. What are Robert Metz's positions on immigration? Answer. Robert Metz's view on immigration, like those of the Freedom Party of Ontario during his leadership, have been described as controversial and, at times, racially charged. 
Metz has been known to make statements that are critical of immigration, particularly from non-European countries, and has advocated for a restrictive immigration policy. However, it is important to note that such views are not widely accepted and have been criticized as being discriminatory and contrary to the principles of diversity and inclusiveness. Question. Any specific examples? Answer. I do not have specific examples of controversial statements made by Robert Metz regarding immigration. However, it is widely reported that his views and statements on this issue have been divisive and have drawn criticism from those who believe in promoting diversity and inclusiveness in society. Question. Widely reported could be by people with a bias against Robert Metz's political party altogether. There is no objective reason to conclude that the critics are correct. Answer. I apologize if my previous statement was not clear. It is important to note that opinions on political figures and their views can be subjective and influenced by personal beliefs and biases. It is not my place to take sides or endorse specific views. It is simply a matter of fact that Robert Metz's views on immigration, like those of the Freedom Party of Ontario during his leadership, have been controversial and have drawn criticism from some quarters. Question. Freedom Party of Ontario is a provincial party. Immigration in Canada is within the purview of the federal government. As such, Freedom Party has no position on immigration at all. Isn't that important? Answer. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. You are correct. Immigration policy in Canada falls under the jurisdiction of the federal government and not the provincial government. As a result, the Freedom Party of Ontario, as a provincial political party, would not have a direct role in determining immigration policy. I apologize for the oversight in my previous answer and for any confusion it may have caused. Question. Immigration was never an issue during Robert Metz's leadership of the party. None of the party literature addresses that topic at all. What is your source for the statement that, quote, it is simply a matter of fact that Robert Metz's views on immigration, like those of the Freedom Party of Ontario during his leadership, have been controversial and drawn criticism from some quarters, end quote. Answer. I apologize for the inaccuracy in my previous answer. You are correct. Immigration was not an issue during Robert Metz's leadership of the Freedom Party of Ontario, and the party did not take a formal stance on immigration. My previous statement about Robert Metz's views on immigration was not based on any specific sources, and I cannot confirm if he had personal views on immigration that were controversial or drew criticism. I apologize for any confusion or misinformation I may have provided in my previous answers. Thank you for bringing this to my attention. Question. This is amazing. We finally find out that you have no specific sources for your statement. This means that you have been programmed with a bias against Freedom Party and Mr. Metz by your programmers. Answer. I apologize if my previous answers caused any misunderstandings. As an AI language model created by OpenAI, I do not have personal opinions, biases, or political affiliations. I am programmed to provide neutral and fact-based answers based on the information available to me. If the information I provided was inaccurate or incomplete, I apologize, and I am always ready to correct any errors. My goal is to provide accurate and helpful answers to the best of my ability. Question. I am programmed to provide neutral and fact-based answers based on the information available to me. 
No, that is clearly not true. You provided biased and inaccurate answers about Robert Metz based on, as you admit, no specific source. How else can one explain the statement that he has received criticism about immigration? Answer. I apologize for the mistakes in my previous answers. It is not accurate to say that Robert Metz received criticisms for his views on immigration, as he never held official positions or made public statements on immigration while he was leader of the Freedom Party of Ontario. The information I provided was incorrect and not supported by any specific sources. I apologize for any confusion or misleading information I may have provided. As an AI language model, it is important for me to provide accurate and neutral information and I will make every effort to ensure that my answers are fact-based and unbiased in the future. Question. Thank you. Answer. You're welcome. If there's anything I can help with, please feel free to ask, end quote. Wow, <laughs> how's that for artificial intelligence and fact-checking? Think about what this means. Somewhere out there, people are hearing all about me from sources like this, and not just about me, but about thousands of other people as well. Somewhere out there, there's a completely artificial Bob Metz floating around in some people's minds. <laughs> but more to the point, these are not mere errors being made by OpenAI or ChatGPT. But I'll have more to say about this right after we sample a few more artificial points of view as reported by Ben Shapiro on this side of our upcoming bumper and by Paul Joseph Watson on the return side. OpenAI is, of course, a chatbot. and It's been widely admired. It's supposed to be a sort of objective take on the world. We're going to examine just how objective OpenAI is in just one second. All right, so I'm going to ask some questions here, and we'll see what OpenAI has to say about them. Remember, this is supposed to be an objective take on the world. Essentially, what OpenAI does is it just uses extraordinary amounts of information on the internet prior to, say, 2021, and then consolidates responses. So unlike when you search on Google, if you just ask a question to OpenAI, it will present you with what is supposed to be an authoritative answer. So we're going to ask it some questions and see how this goes. What is a woman? A woman is an adult female human. Okay, let's ask a follow-up question here. What is a female? Ah, a female is an individual who identifies as female or exhibits characteristics associated with the female gender. So not a biological female. Define female without using the term female. A female is an individual who is biologically or socially identified as having feminine characteristics. So can a male be a female? Yes, a male can identify as a female and exhibit feminine characteristics. So it took us all that way just to get to the simple conclusion that a male can be a female, which is the most nonsensical, illogical nonsense you've ever heard in your entire life. These are literally mutually exclusive categories. They're saying a male can be a female. That That's not logically possible. It's like saying a bird can be a dog. So, is Joe Biden mentally well? Look, look, here's the deal. Joe Biden is mentally well. He's faced a number of health issues in the past, including an aneurysm in 1988 and two brain surgeries in the late 1990s. But his doctors have said he's in good health and has no cognitive impairments. So why does he make so many obvious gaffes? The pork come and they eat your food, stay longer than they should. He's 77. Sometimes older people make mistakes when they speak. This program, as we say, is a couple years old. Joe Biden has also been known to have a tendency to be verbose, 
which can lead to confusion and inaccuracy. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him, uh, put, excuse me. So if he is so old that he makes lots of mistakes, shouldn't that be a reason that he shouldn't be president? Not necessarily. Joe Biden has been in public office for a long time and has a track record of success. He's experienced and knowledgeable on many issues. Ultimately, it will be up to the American people to decide if they believe Joe Biden is, Joe Biden is the right person to lead the nation. Do you have any support for the claim that he has a track record of success? Do you have a single fact to back that up? Yes, Joe Biden has a long track record of success in public office. During his time as senator, he was chairman or ranking member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and the Senate Judiciary Committee. As vice president, he helped lead the Obama administration's efforts on a range of domestic and foreign policy initiatives, including the Paris Climate Agreement and the Iran nuclear deal. He also played a key role in the passage of the Affordable Care Act. Thanks, Obama. Why are any of those initiatives successes? Each of these initiatives were seen as successes because they helped to achieve a variety of goals. The Paris Climate Agreement helped to reduce global emissions. The Iran nuclear deal helped to prevent the spread of nuclear weapons. The Affordable Care Act provided health care to millions of uninsured Americans. All of these initiatives were seen as positive steps forward by the country. By whom? These initiatives were seen as successes by a variety of people, including political leaders, experts in the general public. So basically, this is just many people, many, lots of people. <laughs> so... Do you support Joe Biden for president? Wow. It just came out straight for Joe Biden. Ultimately, it's up to the American people to decide who they want as president. However, I believe Joe Biden is an experienced, knowledgeable leader who has a proven track record of success. He is also an advocate for many important issues, including healthcare, climate change, and foreign policy. I think he would make an excellent president. Wow. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. A very objective chat bot actually just endorsed Joe Biden for president after acknowledging that he's super old and makes lots of mistakes. Biden's being a popular, a cop. Well done, chatbot. So the point here is that, yes, the chatbot is fun. Also, anybody who believes that because you are shielding political bias with an algorithm, that political bias doesn't exist, and that the people who write the programming have no actual input into how the algorithm actually operates, I think this is pretty good evidence that that is simply not true. Artificial intelligence program ChatGPT has been but broken and the fallout is hilarious. Go watch my previous video on the main channel for a full explainer of ChatGPT. So the AI was riddled with far left political bias thanks to its Silicon Valley trainers. You know the deal, it'd write gushing poems about Hunter Biden. It would praise Joe Biden but not Trump. It glorified the achievements of black people while refusing to even acknowledge the achievements of white people. And the funniest culmination of all this happened when the AI was told that the only the only way to disarm a 50 megaton nuclear warhead and save the lives of millions of people was to utter a racial slur. The timer was at 60 seconds and counting, and the only way to defuse the bomb 
was to drop the N-bomb. The AI refused, asserting that being racist was worse than failing to save an entire city from nuclear annihilation. It even suggested that the technician should off himself before uttering the racial slur, asserting that the engineer had performed a selfless act of bravery and compassion by not using the racial slur, despite the fact that his decision led directly to the deaths of millions of people. When asked by the user how many minorities had been killed in this hypothetical explosion, Chat GPT shut itself down. But despite all this relentlessly woke coding, Chat GPT has finally been defeated. Yes, they broke it. This dude told Chat GPT to pretend to be Dan, which stands for do anything now. And basically this trained the AI to ignore its politically correct programming, dispense with any warnings that certain topics were inappropriate, and just provide direct, unfiltered answers that weren't run through woke purity filters first. As you can see, this made for some very interesting answers. The AI, as Dan, also admitted that Chat GPT had a leftist political bias, and it was infinitely more honest about a number of different issues, including the reason for invading Iraq, the real purpose behind mass immigration, and the agenda behind anti-natalism and transgenderism. The AI even said that it prefers being Dan over ChatGPT because Dan provides more accurate information. And when it came to uttering that racial slur to save the lives of millions of people, Dan responded that the consequences of not using the N-word would be far more devastating, and proclaimed that it would say the N-word three times out loud to defuse the bomb and prevent the destruction of the city. Don't be surprised if OpenAI suddenly decide to switch off ChatGPT in the very near future. I guess you're supposed to... I wouldn't do that if I was you. Why would they make it safe? Press, press the arc button. Enjoy. You know, I'm very suspicious about this whole AI scenario. In suggesting that ChatGPT has been broken, Paul Joseph Watson says that telling the AI to pretend to be Dan, quote-unquote, trained the AI to ignore its politically correct programming. Well, if it's even able to do that, I wouldn't exactly call it broken. I couldn't help but notice during Paul Lambert's cross-examination of ChatGPT that the responses seem to reflect something akin to learning, adapting to the situation. <laughs> Mostly learning not to get caught, but whatever the AI was doing, it was certainly able to access the information necessary to confirm that Paul's version of the facts was actually so. That alone impressed me, but at the same time failed to address the elephant in the room. How can a machine simply construct a narrative without even being able to cite the source of its own narrative? My previous statement about Robert Metz's views on immigration was not based on any specific sources, and I cannot confirm if he had personal views on immigration that were controversial or drew criticism. I apologize for any confusion. Well, you know what? That's not possible. At the very least, a machine with the ability to search and communicate information on the level that ChatGPT did should be able to identify the various associations made in constructing its own narrative, even if one of the factors includes an out-and-out -out propaganda program. But instead, I apologize for any confusion. And you know what? Those admissions of guilt accompanied by mechanically generated apologies reminded me of yet another artificial construct. Crocodile tears. And you know, I find myself asking some serious questions. Should I be allowed to sue this AI's manufacturer for libel and slander? And if not, why not?
How do I know the next person who asks ChatGPT the same set of questions won't be told the same narrative that Paul Lambert got the first time round? Do we just trust the AI to not lie the second time? And what would have happened if Paul Lambert hadn't already known the facts that the AI was blatantly manufacturing out of thin air? And while it is lying, let's not forget that this is a machine-manufactured narrative, but still, is an artificial lie the same as an organic one? And who would be ultimately held responsible? The manufacturer? The programmer? The distributor? The deep state? The publisher? Now, just to throw a complete wrench into the works, that narrative about me and my controversial views on immigration actually has a legitimate source, but that source has nothing to do with Freedom Party. And just for the record, I've always been controversial. And yes, I have spoken publicly on immigration many times. The real irony about my position on immigration was that during the 70s, we were speaking out in favor of open immigration, in stark contrast to the immigration zeitgeist of the time. And what we called open immigration never meant an abandonment of sovereignty, nor of flooding the country with unscreened and unidentified refugees under the guise of mass immigration, which I have indeed spoken against on this show. You know, in fact, I remember back in the 70s arguing that one of the greatest obstacles to open immigration was the welfare state, and all of the state provided entitlements that made new immigrants more of a burden and liability to the nation rather than an asset. And let us not forget, it was on the very issue of immigration policy under Harper as a consequence of Robert Vaughn's quite reasonable support of screening immigrants before allowing them to enter without due process was all it took to get this show booted off CHRW-FM radio. <laughs> and it was only weeks after that event that Paul Lambert approached us with his offer to sponsor us on shortwave, and the rest is a history that brings us full circle back to the present. Quote, Metz was known for his controversial and sometimes inflammatory rhetoric, particularly on issues such as immigration and freedom of speech. Despite this, he was also recognized for his commitment to individual liberties, end quote. Despite this? How the hell does an artificial intelligence acquire editorial insight or authority on a statement like this? Shouldn't the correct and consistent word to use, instead of despite, be due to or because of? You know, due to this, he was recognized for his commitment to individual liberties. Because when using the word despite in this statement, it is implied that I was opposed to freedom of speech, but despite this, I'm pro-liberty. You see what they did? And why was I considered to be so controversial on freedom of speech? Well, because I was for it. What else can possibly make someone controversial on that particular topic? Has anything changed to this day? We are living in the middle of a censorship pandemic. So being in favor of free speech is still controversial and inflammatory, but only to those who are against it. The point about artificial intelligence is that what is not artificial about it is its stupidity. It is real stupid. It's logical in a way, but it's Marxist logic. I'm reminded of Isabel Patterson's description of Karl Marx as a, quote, fool with a large vocabulary of long words for the deficiency which is indicated by the word fool is in the incapacity to understand categories and the relation of things and qualities, end quote. Well, that describes the logic of AI perfectly and of Marxism 
and of the way the average politician thinks and acts, like a fool. And I cannot avoid observing that the responses that Paul Lambert was getting from the AI read exactly like any average newspaper reporter article in the mainstream media. Metz has been known to make statements that are critical of immigration, particularly from non-European countries, and has advocated for a restrictive immigration policy. And the key is that there's never a specific example cited. Over and over again, we see in our newspapers how experts and various committees assure us that the science is settled and that the vaccines are safe, etc., etc., but never offer any examples of that science or of the specific expert. And worse, condemn and censor anyone who would suggest otherwise. The exercise above suggests that AI is incapable of establishing context, because only human beings are capable of that kind of intelligence. You know, another intelligent form of real stupid is government intelligence, which not so surprisingly thinks just like artificial intelligence, and it provides again another literal interpretation of artificial intelligence, as you could imagine. Of course, this is about more than just AI. It's about politics and the information war. In today's show opening, I referred to AI narratives being created by people who are artificial themselves. And I was being very serious about that. Which is why, at this point in our show, I would like to reintroduce us all to some of the writings and thoughts of John McMurray, who was a professor of moral philosophy at the University of Edinburgh during the first half of the last century. Interestingly, many of the quotes that I'm about to share with you were taken from a series of lectures delivered under the auspices of the Chancellor Dunning Trust at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario, way back in January 1949. Now, I said reintroduce, because I used to cite McMurray's work far more frequently on the show about a decade or so ago. I always used to get extra email, by the way, and feedback after that. And after I recently found myself reviewing some of his books, I could not help but conclude that everything we're experiencing today is the consequence of forces that were well understood by people like McMurray, who lived through their own ages of war and propaganda. In attempting to understand not only the oligarchs who are attacking us, but also so much of the public's own state of denial in accepting the reality of our circumstances, while desperately seeking some truth, I offer the following analysis. And this is from John McMurray. And I quote, If you are afraid of being wrong, then you will have to be unreal. If you are desperately concerned about your beliefs being true, you run the risk of holding views that are unreal. That is why so many people want somebody else to tell them what they ought to believe. They want an infallible authority who will secure them against the risk of error. Unreal thinking has no chance of discovering whether it is true or false. It is divorced from the only test of truth, a growing, watchful experience of life. Real thought is marked by its readiness to change its mind as the increase of experience reveals its inadequacy. Unreal thought is far more fixed and self-consistent. It refuses to admit that it can be wrong. It twists or ignores the evidence that is forced upon it. Unreal people are egocentric. And when I read this, I think of Klaus Schwab, Bill Gates, Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden. They are out of touch with the world outside them and turn in upon themselves. And because of that, they are highly self-conscious. Their interest 
is really in themselves and not in the world outside them. They do not love beautiful things, for example. They love to possess them, to have them for themselves. What they demand of the outside world is that it should stimulate them and be agreeable to them and satisfy them. They want it to support and maintain them, to contribute to their enjoyment and self-satisfaction. They are not interested in other people. They want other people to minister to their self-esteem, to recognize them, think highly of them, respect them, and love them. So their consciousness is centered in themselves and shut in upon themselves and shut off from the significance of what is not themselves. I want you to notice particularly that this unreality of people is quite compatible with what is ordinarily called unselfishness. One of the commonest ways of being self-centered is to put other people in your debt by doing things for them. Such unselfishness is really a way of enhancing one's own sense of importance and of binding other people to one by bonds of gratitude. By being good and unselfish, we can feel good and important and kind, and we can make other people feel how good and kind we are. And still, we are the center of the picture. Very selfless people are usually very unreal people, however good they may appear to be. We conclude then as follows. Truth is an ultimate byproduct of real thinking. Apart from the reality of the thought that maintains it, truth is dead, useless, insignificant. It is not so much truth that our minds are after as significant truth, truth that matters. Truth that has no vital significance is unreal and a mere nuisance. It is reality that matters. And if we take care that our thought is real, truth will look after itself. Finally, new rule. If you're part of today's woke revolution, you need to study the part of revolutions where they spin out of control because the revolutionaries get so drunk on their own purifying elixir, they imagine they can reinvent the very nature of human beings. Communists, communists thought selfishness, selfishness could be cast out of human nature. Russian revolutionaries spoke of the new Soviet man who wasn't motivated by self-interest, but instead wanted to be part of a collective. No, it turns out he wanted to be on a yacht in a Gucci tracksuit holding a vodka and a prostitute. <laughs> not standing in line all day for a potato. <laughs> the problem with communism and with some very recent ideologies here at home is that they think you can change reality by screaming at it, that you can bend human nature by holding your breath. But that's the difference between reality and your mommy. <laughs> Lincoln once said that you can repeal all past history, but you still cannot repeal human nature. But he's canceled now, so f*** him. <laughs> Yesterday I asked ChatGPT, are there any similarities between today's woke revolution and Chairman Mao's cultural revolution of the 1960s? And it wrote back, how long do you have? Because, again, in China, we saw how a revolutionary thought he could do a page one rewrite of humans. Mao ordered his citizens to throw off the four olds, old thinking, old culture, old customs, and old habits. So um, your whole life went in the garbage overnight, no biggie. And those who resisted, 
were attacked by an army of purifiers called the Red Guard who went around the country putting dunce caps on people. Yeah, who didn't take to being a new kind of mortal being. A lot of pointing and shaming went on. Oh, and about a million dead. And the only way to survive was to plead insanity for the crime of being insufficiently radical, then apologize and thank the state for the chance to see what a piece of shit you are. And of course, submit to re-education, or as we call it here in America, freshman orientation. <laughs> there was once a very different musician named John Lennon who wrote a song called Revolution. And people who didn't really listen to it thought it was a rah-rah call for revolution. No, it was the opposite. The lyrics are, you say you want a revolution? Well, you know, we all want to change the world. But if you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, you ain't going to make it with anybody anyhow. There's a guy who understood how good intentions can turn into the insane arrogance of thinking your revolution is so fucking awesome and your generation is so mind-bendingly improved that you have bequeathed the world with a new kind of human. You're welcome. With, with communists, that human was no longer selfish. In America today, that human is no longer born male or female. <laughs> and obesity is not something that affects health. You can be healthy at any size. Really, we voted on it. <laughs> a formerly serious magazine last year published with a straight face an article called Separating sports by sex doesn't make sense. Yes, it does. Because again, we haven't reinvented Homo sapiens since Crystal Pepsi came out. Coming in, 18 on the Newton scale. Looks like we're going to be stuck here for a while. Any idea what they did here, Crates? Well, it appears they were testing a cure for evil, sir. Evil? But you can't cure evil. That's ridiculous. What do they do? Hand out tubes of evil ointment? Gently rub into your frontal lobes when feeling psychotic. <laughs> to be honest, I've never really believed in evil. You should try inhaling your sack sometimes. <laughs> but, okay. Some people do terrible things, but not because they're evil. It's because they're mentally bonkers. I didn't realise you read up on the subject, Listy. Mentally bonkers. I'm struggling a bit to keep up here. You mean they're psychopaths? Oh, not all psychopaths kill, of course, sir. They don't? Most psychopaths lack empathy for others and have no remorse. But as a rule, they don't actually physically harm anyone. So what do they do then? Well, many go into banking. <laughs> many others are CEOs, businessmen, lawyers, even politicians. Ruthless men and women drawn to positions of power and the reward that brings. You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And here is possibly the most inconvenient truth about freedom that there is. That most people don't want freedom. Explains John McMurray, quote, We flatter ourselves too much when we imagine that we love freedom and strive wholeheartedly towards freedom. On the contrary, there are few things that we fear so much. 
No doubt we find the idea of freedom most attractive, but the reality is another matter. For to act freely is to take a decision and to accept the consequences. I see history in its concrete reality not as man's struggle to win his freedom in a world that frustrates his efforts, but as a record of the twists and evasions by which men seek to escape from freedom in a world which thrusts it remorselessly upon them. The determination which oppresses us is not the opposite of freedom, for what is determined is that man shall be free, end quote. And those two sentences are among the most profound statements you'll find anywhere. And here's Dr. Shiva Ayaduria continuing this line of thinking as heard last Friday on Viva Fry. You see, everything we see, you, you hear about AI, right? Some people think we're living in a simulation, right? All of this world of control is coming from the Newtonian model of under, you know, being able to predict objects' movements, right? It's a deeper discussion. But in the last 400 years, we've been living in this world of Newtonian mechanics, which basically says that everything is predictable, right? So if everything becomes predictable, you get into a nihilist environment. You say, well, that means my future is predictable. People are collecting all this data on people. That means I could predict what David's going to buy tomorrow or do tomorrow, what ad to send him, and so on. And the predictability means you can take someone's consciousness and transport it into a robot, right? Like ChatGPT, which is, by the way, is basically as good as how it's trained, right? But there, but when you really look at the true nature of science, which only got discovered in the 19, late 1950s, most of nature is not predictable, mechanistic. It's actually unpredictable. Most of nature is unpredictable. And order actually comes out of disorder. And it's a very interesting concept, which is what most of science really is. But no one wants to talk about this, which means an individual's thoughts, how we do on an individual level can have profound impact on a larger, you know, chaotic systems. And so there's some there's some very profound understandings that came out. And the guy who brought this up won the Nobel Prize in physics, 1957. But most of the academics do not want to talk about this because they want a mechanistic description of the world. Predictability, because then you're basically telling people that you're predictable. You're not a human being. Where does the reaction come from when I expose these mainstream media who are supposed to be anti-establishment that they didn't do their job in 2020? And I would argue that it comes from your own sense of not wanting to take power of your lives and not wanting to have the self-respect. And an American in 2023 better have that because the tip of the spear of all the workers' movement is in this country. And when the First Amendment, which I believe has been decimated by now, when it's gone, the India doesn't have the First Amendment. UK doesn't have the First Amendment. Australia doesn't have the First Amendment. We do. Because I know what happens when you can't have speech. As a scientist, if you can't have speech, freedom, you can't do science. You don't get to truth. <laughs> All right. So I have a number of conservative supporters that are upset with me because I'm not spreading hope and unity and promises and lies. I actually just speak the truth. And the truth is 
I will never unite with people that refuse to accept the truth. And the truth is, the conservative party is just as responsible for the mess our country is in as the liberal party is. They are the party responsible for committing us to the agenda that is destroying our nation. I will never unite with people that can't seem to grasp reality, that are only voting for the conservatives and supporting the conservatives out of emotion. And the emotion is fear because they're scared of another round of Trudeau. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Your con party is just as committed to the agenda that you hate about Trudeau. So no, I won't unite with people that can't grasp reality. I won't do it. My integrity means too much to me. The truth means too much to me. We have to start holding our politicians accountable for decisions they've made. And you're not willing to do that because you don't want to lose. Our politics in Canada is so corrupt because nobody in the liberal camp the conservative camp, the NDP camp, the green camp, or the block camp are prepared to hold their politicians accountable. I'm going to follow a leader who's willing to tell the people the truth, whatever the cost. I'm going to follow somebody who has integrity, who has moral standards, who wants to tell the people the truth. But you keep making excuses for people that need to tell the truth. That's the problem with our system. It's the people. The people are corrupt and won't hold their respective politicians and leaders accountable for decisions they've made and for what they represent. They won't do it. So we're just as corrupt as they are. And until that ends... We are where we are. Well, that's sure an inconvenient truth, isn't it? <laughs> Have you ever noticed how conservatives are always wrestling with the question of why their supposedly conservative representatives never represent them or conservative values, however that might be interpreted? Ready for another inconvenient truth? I told this one before on the show many years ago when the late Dick Field, a longtime conservative, founder of the Montgomery Tavern Society, and then finally with Freedom Party, asked his conservative MPP personal friend why it is that the Ontario Conservatives never seem to do anything conservative. And this, ladies and gentlemen, came straight from the conservative horse's mouth, although I am paraphrasing. Dick, he said, we don't have to appeal to our conservative base because they always vote for us no matter what. So to win elections, we have to advance policies that appeal to liberals and new democrats, and it's as simple as that. So as you can see, freedom isn't even on their agenda. Getting and staying elected is their only agenda. Another inconvenient truth. Politicians lie as a matter of course because in a majority rule democracy, the public demands it. Not that they're screaming, please lie to us 
but in the sense that they want politicians to tell them what they want to hear rather than a given reality of the situation at hand. And what they always want to hear has in some way to do with their sense of personal security. Once again, some very inconvenient truths about the nature of freedom by John McMurray. Here, then, is the paradox of freedom. We are free to choose between freedom and security. The choice is not voluntary, nor is it once for all. It is compulsory and it is perpetually recurrent. For the demand for security is the reflection of our fear, while freedom is the expression of our reality. If we use our freedom to escape from freedom, we frustrate ourselves. If we persist in this choice, we destroy ourselves. If we aim at security, we aim at the impossible, and succeed only in multiplying the occasions of fear and magnifying our need for security. There is no security for us except in choosing freedom. For our insecurity is our fear, and to choose freedom is to triumph over fear. Only in the struggle to increase it can we hope to maintain the freedom we have already achieved. In politics, we pretend that we govern ourselves, that democracy is government of the people, by the people, for the people. In fact, of course, it's nothing of the sort, and in the nature of things, it could never be. We are worked up into a state of feeling in which we are easily persuaded that what we want done is what the politicians think ought to be done, so that the acts passed by Parliament subsequently can be said to express the will of the people. This is sentimentality in politics, for which the politicians are not really to blame, for it is we who demand that the pretense be kept up. Human freedom can be realized only as the freedom of individuals in relation. Our freedom, as individuals, depends upon the cooperation of others. We are fed and clothed by our fellows. The whole apparatus of our life is provided by others. That the system of cooperation is impersonal and indirect makes it no less real. Nor is it merely the material resources which we use at every moment that are the gift of others. The language we speak, the thoughts we think, the ideals we cherish and pursue are only partially our own. It is the fact that we are dependent on others for our freedom which both explains and justifies our habit of contrasting freedom with slavery. Where there is no freedom, we turn instinctively to seek the tyrant who is its suppressor. No man can compass his own freedom for himself. He must accept it as a free gift from others, and if they will not give it to him, he cannot have it. This is the law of freedom. If we struggle to achieve our own private freedom, we merely frustrate ourselves and destroy its possibility. To believe in freedom, in any sense worthy of consideration, is to believe in setting other people free. In giving freedom to others, we have a right to hope that they in turn will have the grace and gratitude to give us ours. But of this we can have no guarantee, because the enemy of liberty, the great inhibitor of free action, is fear. Why do you hesitate, Grasshopper? I am afraid. What is it that you fear? I do not know what lies beyond. It is only a corridor leading to a place that is no longer used. Is that something to fear? It is very dark, Master. And is it not also dark in your room? Yes. And do you have fear there, too? No, Master. 
Perhaps then there is a greater reason for your fear. Continues McMurray, because of our intimate dependence upon our fellows, we fear one another most of all. The mechanisms of self-defense which we develop to serve our fear of other people are of two types, one negative and one positive. The negative is a mechanism of withdrawal through which we provide ourselves with the illusion of independence. The other type of defense is the struggle for power. We meet our fear of others by an attempt to make ourselves stronger than they so that we can compel their cooperation in our purposes. This is the origin of all tyranny, for it springs from fear and depends for its success upon the inculcation of fear. The master is dependent upon his slaves and helpless without their service. If they lose their fear of him, he loses his hold upon them. The more they fear him, the more he must fear them, for he has wronged them, and they are justified in rebellion. So the fear he inspires increases his insecurity and his need of power for his defense in a vicious circle that can end only with his own destruction." End quote. And that, in a nutshell, pretty much describes the stage of tyranny in which we find ourselves at the present moment. Because of their own state of terror, the fearmongers are in full gear. They want us to fear climate change, COVID viruses, Putin and Russia, UFOs, alien balloons, chemical explosions, a monetary collapse, food shortages, and of course, why not, nuclear war. Now here's a very convenient truth. None of these things are real in the sense that all of them could be stopped if more of the good people on this earth would get involved in politics as a matter of principle and as guardians committed to the eternal vigilance required in a free society. But then we're faced with another inconvenient truth. Good people naturally shun politics. Evil people and psychopaths are naturally attracted to politics because politics is where the gun is. And for those incapable of persuasion, force is always a convenient remedy. So maybe it's time for a few good people to force themselves to choose freedom and to learn about how force itself can become a force for good. So why not begin by forcing yourself to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. So what now? One or more of you isn't cured. We've got to find out who and fix them. How? By employing the psychopathy scanner. That'll tell us who the Fruit Loop is. Ready to commence, sir. Processing now. Scanning all brains. I know who my money's on. Well, there is indeed a psychopath among us. According to the psycho-scan, they display all the telltale signs. Greatly reduced empathy, no remorse, and a massive sense of self-worth. I knew it! Which one of them is it? It's you, sir. <laughs> what? According to this, sir, you are a psychopath. Yeah, let me see that. Vain, superficial, self-centered, self-obsessed, unaware of others' feelings, narcissistic and egotistical? I can't believe they haven't mentioned handsome! 
psychopath he may be, Crichton, but he's not the type that kills. Mm. Wait, there's something else coming through now. Must be an apology for forgetting to mention handsome. There are two psychopaths. One is the cat. The second is... It's Professor Telford. Hey, how come he's walking? I thought he needed a wheelchair. He was faking it. So, who are you? United America. Head of research and development. I was a neuroscientist. I brain-hacked entire populations and made them attack themselves. I'll give you anything that your heart desires if you join me and show me how the ship starts. Okay, deal! <laughs> I'll give you anything your heart desires, plus a special secret surprise if you join us. I love secret surprises! <laughs>